Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. house with a pool and a partner who loves me, and my own lab filled with only the most brilliant and strong women. I want a dog and a Nobel Prize, and to find a cure to addiction and depression and everything else that ails us. I want everything, and I want to want less. Yeah, Jesse, Transcendent Kingdom. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia, and today I'm channeling my inner Fraser Crane to dispense bookish wisdom to my fellow readers. Hi, friends. I am very excited about this edition of Literary Therapy. This is one of my new favorite uh, shows that we do, and so I'm excited to get to dispense a little bit of advice and wisdom. I feel like uh, if you are like me, the pandemic has kind of gone in these ebbs and flows, and some weeks are better than others. And last week, for all kinds of reasons, was a hard week. And so I think this is coming at a good time for me to kind of think about other people outside myself and to try to offer a little bit of light and guidance as you all navigate literary quandaries, which may in the grand scheme feel small. Um, But We all, I think, have been turning to literature to help inform us, to help comfort us. And so in that sense, literary therapy matters. So we're going to get started. First up, let's give it a listen. Hi, Annie. This is Tana. I'm from Clute, Texas. I just finished Transcendent Kingdom and I loved it. I picked up four books on hold from the library today. Which one do you think I should follow it up with? House Lessons by Erica Bauermeister. Friends and Strangers by J. Courtney Sullivan, This Must Be the Place, Maggie O'Farrell, or The New Marilyn Robinson, Jack. Please tell me one of these are worth pushing past the first chapter because that has been a bit of a problem for me lately. Thank you so much. Hi, Tana. Okay, I am so curious to know if you wound up just diving in because you sent in your recording, and obviously this is not an immediate response situation. I am not really Fraser Crane on a radio show. So, Uh, We've had a few days now where I'm curious if you went ahead and tried to read one of these. But Transcendent Kingdom, which I led with a quote from at the top of the episode, is such a beautiful book and it is hard to follow up. And I think some of my biggest reading ruts have been created by beautiful, life-changing, earth-shattering, gorgeous books that it just then is really hard to follow them up. Station 11 is the one I think about most often. Um, So the good news is I think you have some really good books here. Um, You mentioned House Lessons, Friends and Strangers, This Must Be the Place, and Jack. My gut instinct is to tell you to read House Lessons, and here's why. It's a totally different genre. It's a different format. There won't be a lot of um, complaint that maybe the tone is different because it's supposed to be different. Infamously, I read Station Eleven, and then immediately followed it up with um, The Royal We, which I think under normal circumstances is a book I would have adored. Um, but I truly think that was just a mistake in in planning out my reading. I thought it would be fun to read something fun and fluffy after Station Eleven, and instead it fell flat because Station Eleven was so intense and and made such an impact. So 
I'm afraid if you follow Transcendent Kingdom up with Jack, you're going to have a lot of similarities in theme. I think about Transcendent Kingdom and how it deals with faith so beautifully. And that's one thing Marilyn Robinson does really well. Faith and family both. And so I I think I would put Jack to the side for now or just give a couple of books in between Transcendent Kingdom and Jack, although I'm very much looking forward to reading that book myself. And then I'll be honest, This Must Be the Place is not a book I have read yet, although goodness knows we are hearing so much deserved praise about Maggie O'Farrell and her work. So I kind of put that one to the side because, again, fiction, and it looked like it would be light and fun, looks like highly... Um, compare often compared to uh, where'd you go Bernadette and so I would I think skip that one for now friends and strangers was under consideration but again I'm just worried that if you read fiction even fiction that deals with some of the same types of themes you saw in transcendent kingdom I don't know how they're going to compare to that particular title. Um, And I think we all are seeing Transcendent Kingdom on best book of the year kind of lists. So we don't want to set the next book up for failure. That's why I'm going to stand by my recommendation that you pick up House Lessons. It's a different genre, but it's equally beautifully written. I mean, they're very different styles of authors here, very different styles of books. But I thought Erica Bauermeister really did such a gorgeous job of writing about home and family. So you do get kind of this thread that you might have gotten from Transcendent Kingdom, and it could then transfer over into House Lessons, but short chapters, which I like, written in essay format, which is going to be totally different from Transcendent Kingdom, and a totally different, even though it does deal a little bit with family, a totally different um, topic and totally different subject matter. So in this case, I think you should go with the book that really is, at first glance even, most different from Transcendent Kingdom, and also at the same time, deals with similar themes. So House Lessons would be it for me. I don't know that I would have recommended just any old essay collection or any old nonfiction, but I think because Erica Bauermeister is a talented author, I think she will be able to live up to the expectations that Transcendent Kingdom has set. Tana, report back. I'd love to know what you picked up. Okay, up next, Kelly. Hey, Annie, it's Kelly from Brandon, Mississippi. I am a busy mom, wife, and teacher, so I have to carve out time and be very intentional with my reading life. Here's my bookish dilemma. When I have time to read, I only want to read fluff. All the thrillers, all the page turners. However, I feel like I should be reading more important books to be a well-read reader. You know, all the books you see people reading on Instagram, the important people. (laughs) What do I do? Help! First of all, Kelly, I got the biggest grin on my face listening to your message. I understand that Southern accents are different depending on your state, but your beautiful voice reminded me so much of going to college in Alabama and you sounded so much like dear friends and women in my life. And so your voice sounded so familiar to me that I just listened to your whole message with a big old grin on my face. Also, thank you for being a teacher and for all the work that you are doing during the The pandemic times, teachers are miracle workers on good and normal years, but I think what you all are doing right now is is so heroic and outstanding, and I'm sorry you've been put in all these different positions that you've been put in, but we are grateful for you, and we are cheering for you. Okay, I think this dilemma is pretty... Uh, common, particularly right now. I think it's always something that's on the minds of readers I know. But I think during a global pandemic, all of our reading lives are a little bit different and what we're drawn to and gravitating toward are different. Um, But I think this idea of, hey, I want to read important things. 
is valid. And I think it's especially valid now that you're wanting to read fluff. Like it sounds like you have probably a pretty stressful life right now. So I think it's totally understandable that you would also want to find like a comfort and an escape. Here's what I want you to do. First of all, take yourself off the hook a little bit. I do want a little bit less pressure put on our reading lives just in general. And I think for better or worse, Instagram has helped the pressure and it's given all of us a little bit of anxiety. I think about how many books we read, how many books we own, what genres we're reading. So I want to, I want you to take yourself a little bit off the hook. Then what I want you to do is ask yourself, what does important mean to you? Uh, You mentioned seeing books that people talk about on Instagram. So do you mean important like popular, like books that are receiving a lot of critical acclaim, um, books that are receiving a lot of attention on social media? Um, Or do you mean important in terms of the themes they're dealing with? So I think that's the first thing is define what's important and take a page out of the Lazy Genius book and ask yourself what's important to you right now. It is okay for your reading to be seasonal. You are in the middle of a stressful season in the life of a teacher, so maybe it's okay that your reading life be a little more fluffy (laughs) than usual. And maybe during the summer, maybe you start planning out your reading year. That doesn't work for everybody, but I think you could potentially start telling yourself, okay, I'm going to read fluff right now because that's all my brain can handle. But during the summer, when I have a little bit more margin, I really want to read this nonfiction book or this book that deals with racial justice or this book that deals with a social cause. And again, depending on your definitions of important, maybe maybe during the summer is when you read National Book Award finalists from the previous year. Like, I think it is okay to look at your reading life. In In fact, I think it is a good thing to look at your reading life as seasonal. Okay. But if you are just heart set on reading an important book right now, I get it. I frequently am in that boat. Uh, I would do what I'm going to call the Mary Poppins spoonful of sugar method. And here's what I mean. Depending on your definition of important, I think there are a lot of really great fiction books out there that are short, very well written, and that deal with heavy subject matter, but in a really smart, thoughtful, easily accessible way. I think we can get bogged down sometimes in great big tomes. I think we can get bogged down occasionally by nonfiction. So think about those topics, again, that are important to you, or think about the genres that are important to you. Again, if it's the National Book Award finalist list, whatever it is, take a look and let's see what's easy. Like, like, let's see, is there a National Book Award finalist that is 150 pages? Great. Start there. Um, is there a book you've been seeing on social media that is written with short chapters? Start there. We're going to talk about short chapters later. If you're like me and what you mean by important is themes. So I talk a lot about the themes I like in literature. We're going to talk about that a lot today. But if you have some important themes you want to read about, then wrap them up in fiction. Um, Again, make things a spoonful of sugar. So I immediately thought of Such a Fun Age and Here for It, which both deal with race and class, but in almost a snarky, um, very witty way. Um, I thought about Stand All the Way Up, written by Sophie Hudson. Um, If you're a Christian or if you're a believer, um, I think this deals with a lot of important, heavy topics. One chapter about her her mom in particular moved me to tears, but she is so hilariously, uproariously funny that it was it was like a spoonful of sugar. Like it was enjoyable, even though I was also thinking, underlining and crying while reading it. (laughs) I think about, and this is a book that you may be referencing in terms of you've seen it a lot on social media. I think about the death of Vivek Ojai. 
part of the reason I think that book is accessible is the chapters are really short and it is relatively short in terms of literary fiction. I loved that because that book was intense and heavy and a bit of a gut punch, but I looked at it and knew, okay, but I can read this because this is you know, I don't have it in front of me, but 200 pages. So I know that I can read this. The short chapters helped me progress through it steadily. And it introduced me to a cast of characters I really fell in love with. But it was over, like I finished it in a couple of sittings. So um, that would be another recommendation. If you, one of the themes you want to pay attention to is maybe getting old. I think about The Big Finish or This Is Your Life, Harriet Chance really fun fiction titles, but at the same time underneath, there is a heft to these books. So I want you to, I guess, ask yourself what's important. Like, what do you mean by important books? I want you to look at addressing your reading life in a seasonal way. I want you to take the pressure off yourself. And then once you've made a list of what's important to you, yeah, I guess I, again, I'm borrowing from the lazy genius, but kind of be a lazy genius about it. If it's, um, hot, like fictional titles from the National Book Award list, then tackle the the shortest one first or tackle the one that is of most interest to you. If you've been seeing the same books on Reese Witherspoon's feed or on Bookstagram, make a little list and then see, okay, which ones have themes that I really like? Let me start there. Or which ones are short? Let me start there. Which ones are well-reviewed by the readers I trust? So just because something's a National Book Award winner doesn't mean you're going to like it. And I think life is too short to read books that maybe don't grab you. So also find readers that you trust um, who maybe could tell you, oof, like even my friend Hunter tells me, oh, this was a National Book Award finalist, but you won't like it. Try this one instead. So find fellow readers who can help you with that. Those are the things I would think about when you're talking about reading, air quotes, important books versus reading fluffy books. I hope that helps. Thank you, Kelly. Hi, this is Carrie. I live in Greensboro, North Carolina, and I have a question, and that is, how do you decide which classics it is okay to give up and never read or never try to get through. I think when I was um, thinking of this question, I was particularly thinking of Steinbeck. I have never read The Grapes of Wrath, and I've never read Of Mice and Men, and I don't think I'm going to start now. So how do you make that decision? Um, what What are your pros and cons or your calculations when you're doing that? Hi, my name is Stephanie Cochran. I'm from Fort Worth, Texas. And my problem is that I would like to be the type of person who has read all the classics and can discuss them intelligently, but I don't actually want to read them. So what should I do? Okay, I put Carrie and Stephanie's questions together because they're so similar in terms of theme. Um, Hi, Carrie. Hi, Stephanie. Carrie, in particular, we have been friends on the internet for a long time, but I don't think I've heard your voice very much. So it was so nice to hear your voice. So this is an interesting question to address right now as I am finally wrapping up the last section of Anna Karenina. (laughs) It has taken me decades. Like I looked, my copy is giant. All copies of Anna Karenina are giant. Um, But I bought it when it was an uh, Oprah book club pick, I want to say, when I was a senior in high school. Uh, Whatever it was, my copy, my giant paperback copy was only $16. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And now I assure you that is not how much it costs. Um, So I'm finally finishing it. It was one of those bucket list books for me. 
And one of the questions I am really asking myself is, was it worth it? Because it was a huge investment of my time this year. And I really am asking myself that question, Carrie, that I think you are asking, which is what classics are worth reading and which are skipping? And then Stephanie, you want to read the classics, but do you really? (laughs) So, So here are a few things that I think about when I am trying to decide. And remember, my job does require a lot of frontless reading. So reading a classic for me is, ugh, I don't like to use the word sacrifice, but but it is a very different use of my time. Uh, and so I really do have to think about what do I need to be reading right now? Like what makes the most sense for my professional life? Um, and then for my personal reading goals or desires. So how do I decide what classics to read or skip? What happens when I don't want to read them? The first tip I'm going to give, which I've said before and which I'm living proof of right now, is if you really do want to read a classic, um, I really did want to read East of Eden. I really did want to read Anna Karenina. Like those are things I actually really, truly wanted to read. I found a friend to read them with. In my case, that friend is Hunter, shelf by shelf. You've heard him on the podcast. He and I have been reading Anna Karenina all year long. And we are recording podcast episodes. What I like about that is a buddy read, which I think is the term bookstagram uses for it. A buddy read has helped me, um, helped hold me accountable. I have found that that is very necessary for me in pretty much every habit I do. Um, So this pandemic, I have done a lot of walking. Well, I have a walking buddy and I know I have to show up every morning at seven o'clock or I'm going to let her down. And so I think having a buddy to read the book along with you is helpful. For us, it's also um, content. Like we want to record a podcast about it. That means we would be letting listeners down if we didn't do it. So if you really do want to read a classic, I would suggest grabbing a friend who can read it along with you. I'd also suggest starting small. I did not read Anna Karenina in a couple of weeks. I have literally taken, (laughs) it will be 11 months uh, to read this book and I've read one part at a time. And so I think, you know, really sparsing it or spacing it out and really looking at page count and page numbers and figuring out, okay, how many pages would I need to read if my goal is to read this in a month for my book club or six months for my personal growth or my personal reading desires? The other thing I kind of throw in this category of starting small is start with something you're familiar with. So Stephanie, for you in particular, where you have this desire to read classics, but you just don't really want to pick one up. I'm wondering what it would be like if you revisited a classic from your childhood or a classic from your high school reading. This is going to sound so strange, but I loved The Scarlet Letter as an 11th grader. I am so curious if I would love it as an adult. And I watched EZA the other night and thought, maybe it's time to revisit The Scarlet Letter because I've got this fun pop culture thing in my brain right now that might provide some incentive for me to to read it. The other thing, okay, I'm thinking of incentivizing your reading. I'm just like, you know, just like we did with Pizza Hut. Like I can't like book it, book it with Pizza Hut. They incentivized our reading. So for Hunter and I reading Anna Karenina, one of our goals or one of our um, rewards is that we're going to read Anna Kay, the young adult adaptation afterward. A couple years ago, I read a book called The Winters, which I loved. And only after reading it did I discover it was a retelling of Rebecca. And so I read Rebecca then because I loved The Winters so much. Rebecca ultimately fell flat for me, but I'm so glad I read it because I also learned, wow, all these thrillers, like literary or domestic thrillers that I really enjoy, really owe it to 
Daphne du Maurier and really owe it to Rebecca. And I wouldn't have known that had I not read it. So incentivize your reading, maybe reward yourself by watching a film film adaptation. Rebecca's got a film adaptation coming up. Um, Also, Rebecca isn't very long, so that's doable. Maybe you love Pride and Prejudice and maybe you even enjoyed Eligible by Curtis Sittenfeld. And now you want to try reading Pride and Prejudice because you've never read it before. Uh, maybe you love Emma, the new adaptation of Emma, but you've never read Emma before. So I think really tying it in, if you're like me, tying it into some kind of pop culture incentive might be helpful. I don't know. That's the only reason I would even ever be interested in Shakespeare, which I'm sorry to say out loud. I'm sorry to confess that out loud. Jordan adores Shakespeare. But the only things that have ever really intrigued me in Shakespeare are all those teen movie adaptations. And the other thing, I guess two more kind of tips. Read seasonally, meaning, and I do mention Rebecca here, because Rebecca or In Cold Blood, those would be fun October books. So you don't even have to think of them as classics. Instead, you could think of them as October spooky books to read. And they just happen to be classic literature. I'm thinking of what is on the tip of my tongue. Their Eyes Were Watching God. What a great summer book to read, especially if you're like me and you live in the South. She talks about heat and humidity. And I loved reading that book in the heat of summer. So reading seasonally and like tricking yourself into realizing this isn't a classic. This is just a really good book. And then the last thing that I really have loved since I was a kid is maybe make a list of what classics do you actually want to read. Um, So as a teenager, I was into like the classic films, like AFI's best movies of all time. And like I printed off the list and I began the process of like checking off which ones I had seen. Um, maybe you want to make a list of, um, I don't know, classics you've never read, but you wish you had. And maybe it's just a list of 10. Maybe it's a list of five. And you just work your way through those books. I'm also thinking you could even use the list. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's like what classic book best represents each state. And maybe you print off a little map and you color in when you've read each one. Like Their Eyes Were Watching God is Florida's book. Um, I think To Kill a Mockingbird is Alabama's book. So these are different things I think that could help make reading classics fun. Carrie, I know that you are a librarian. And so I think you're like me and maybe your reading life is not limited, but certainly strategic in terms of what you can pick up and what you can't. I think Again, some of these tips would work for you as well, reading seasonally in particular, or reading along with a buddy, or asking yourself, do I really want to read these? And for me, I really want to read some, and I really don't want to read others. Moby Dick is a book I am never going to read. I had a teacher, a beloved teacher, who wrote her dissertation on that book. I used to have a slight curiosity about it. No longer. I have no desire to read Moby Dick. But my friend Lee that was one of the, her goals. And so she read it this year. So I think that's the thing is to really ask yourself, what are classics I actually have a desire to read? Um, Their Eyes Were Watching God is one I really wanted to read. East of Eden, one I really wanted to read. Shakespeare, not as interesting to me. Jane Austen, like I am sorely lacking in the Jane Austen department, but I don't have an, in, I don't have an interest in that right now. So I'm not going to do it right now. I don't think that'll be the case down the road. I think down the road, I might be interested in Jane Austen again. I hope this helps you guys. I think these, I've paired your questions together because I think you guys aren't alone in in the questions you're asking. I think classics are something we're always revisiting. What should even a classic book be? Um, and I don't think I'm super qualified to answer that question, but I hope I helped answer yours. Hey, Annie. My name is Chrissy Wright, and I am a reader in the Pacific Northwest. I live in a three-stop light town about 30 miles outside the city of Seattle. This fall, I would love to sink into a sprawling story with awesome characters, but here's my problem. I have to have great dialogue, and the chapters have got to be short. 
when I go to the bookstore and pick up a title I'm interested in and flip through it, and I see either a page that's just a whole block of text, like a page of description with no uh, paragraph breaks um, or no dialogue, or chapters that are honestly more than eight pages, I just can't. I put it down. I walk away. So I'm hoping you can help me get that sense of story with amazing character, but keep it moving, keep it breezy, keep the chapters short. Thank you so much. Chrissy, I love your question because your question sounds like one I could have said. Until maybe 2019 or 2020, I don't think I realized how much I appreciate short chapters. If a book is well-written and one I'm really into, then a long chapter is okay. But certainly long chapters do occasionally derail my reading rhythm. So I totally understand where you're coming from. And at the same time, I think you're absolutely right. Sometimes these sweeping stories, which sounds like it's exactly the kind of genre reading you're looking for, often those sweeping stories have long chapters. I think about a book I adored, Unsheltered by Barbara Kingsolver. I love that book. Not everybody did. Um, but part of what made that book difficult to read, and I do think I'm going to mention it in a later question, part of what made that book difficult to read was the chapters were so long. So I totally see where you're coming from. Here are some recommendations for books that I think are sweeping stories, but because they either change narrators or they have short chapters, I think they would hook you and but still give you that sweeping epic feeling you're looking for. The first is Old Love Good Girls, which I highly recommended back this spring for um, readers of The Dearly Beloved. Um, Old Love Good Girls deals with two uh, friends who meet in college. The book follows them through the years, which lends itself to kind of that um, sweeping atmospheric kind of book. But the chapters are really short, and occasionally you get a different um, narration or a different perspective. And so that is one that immediately came to mind. Homegoing by Yad Jesse is another one. That I really think if you haven't already read it, which you may have, but if you haven't already read it, that one is surprisingly, considering what an epic it is and how many generations that book takes place over the course of, as I recall, the chapters are relatively short and you are changing narrations pretty regularly. Because that book takes place and spans hundreds of years, you get a variety of voices. And I think that variety of voices makes Homegoing actually really accessible reading. So if you have not read Homegoing yet, I highly recommend it. I also thought about The Dutch House. And part of the reason I thought about The Dutch House, I cannot recall the shortness of the chapters or the length of the chapters. But what I can recall is this kind of epic story about this house and these siblings, almost fairy tale esque I think was how reviewers kind of called it um, when it came out. But it is so um, compulsively readable because it's just a family. Like at its heart, it's just a book about these two, this brother and this sister. And so there is something about, and I think Ann Patchett does this very well, that the story itself, sure, expand or spans generations, but you don't ever feel like that's what you're reading. It certainly never felt like a chore. Another book that would fall under this category, and we've talked about it a lot at the bookshelf, is Red at the Bone by Jacqueline Woodson. This is a book that that spans generations. It's kind of got this Gilmore Girls vibe where you've got three different generations of women. Um, but because the narration changes frequently and the chapters are super short, this book is really accessible. And I keep coming back to that word accessible. I guess what I mean by that is something that is compulsively readable that won't bog you down, but at the same time fits the bill in terms of um, beautifully written uh, features, maybe a multi-generational story. 
I'm wondering about two authors as well. Both, I think, are pretty commercial authors. Uh, Jodi Picoult, I feel like she consistently puts out books where the chapters are really short, which lend themselves to almost bingeable reading. And she also is covering a lot of heavy territory. And then the other author who I have not read, but who I have friends, and I think maybe Ann Bogle mentions her um, pretty frequently, is Rosamond Pilcher. Rosamond Pilcher is a British author, and I do find that British stories, maybe this is my imagination, tend to be quieter and longer chapters. I could be wrong about that. It's just my speculation. (laughs) Um, But... I have friends who love her books and love them for that sweeping epic story. I keep coming back to that word sweeping because I don't know a better word for it. And so I think the chapters are long in those books, but lots of dialogue. And so very broken up. Um, I don't think you would get too bogged down in the language. So those are two authors you might consider trying. And then the last tip I have for you is maybe to expand and try to read books written in verse. This was actually a tip passed along by Olivia, our store manager. She and I were talking because we both really do appreciate short chapters. But interestingly, we find the books that have the short chapters to mostly fall under like the thriller suspense category, which is why your question is so interesting. We really had to think about what books have short chapters or are um, heavy on the dialogue that might still fit the bill of maybe an epic tale. So Olivia's suggestion was to read books written in verse. And Brown Girl Dreaming is one of my favorites. Um, that I have ever read. And then one of Olivia's favorites is Clap When You Land. Uh, Again, these are books dealing with a lot of things. Oh, another good one that um, is actually a children's chapter book that Olivia really liked recently is um, Loretta Little Looks Back. Um, Loretta Little Looks Back is a children's chapter book, but each section is really broken up by uh, what uh, generation or what decade they are in, um, you kind of get this one family story, but told through the different decades. So I think that could really fit the bill. So looking at YA and children's chapter books and specifically looking at books written in verse, I think might be another thing that you could try where you could still get this, the feeling that you're seeking from reading these books, but, uh, maybe more, more fast paced or more with more of a flow to them that makes them easier to read. Those are our suggestions, Chrissy. Hi, Annie. This is Joanna from Dallas, Texas. My current literary issue is that I am in a genre rut. My favorite genre to read is historical fiction. I love it. I can't get enough of it, but sometimes I feel like it kind of limits me and I don't really know where else to look. I don't know what other genres to really look at or what I would be interested in. And so then I get intimidated by the library shelves or looking online and I just pick up the next historical fiction. So how do you do that? How do you get out of reading the same things over and over and branch out and find other genres you might love? Thanks for all your hard work. Thanks for being a light in my social media feeds. And thanks for answering my question. Hi, Joanna. Um, So interesting to see so many Texas listeners in this episode. How fun. Okay. I think a genre rut, actually, you've put to terms something that I'm sure I have experienced before. um, And I know other readers have, but I don't know that I ever had a word for it. So I love this term genre rut. It sounds like basically you want to get out of reading the same thing. I first want to just tell listeners everywhere, it's okay to have favorite genres. Like, you are allowed to love historical fiction. I think my favorite genre, if I had to like put a finger on it, is probably literary fiction. So it's okay to have favorite genres, but I think, Joanna, what you're experiencing is a little bit of boredom. And so your favorite genre isn't cutting it for you right now. So I think 
Um, I would look for a book that shares themes from the historical fiction you love the best. I've talked a lot about themes uh, in this episode. It's come up a couple of different times. But I think if you look at historical fiction you love, so I thought of We Were the Lucky Ones. That's one of my favorite historical fiction books. Why do I love it? Is it because of the World War II setting? No, I don't think so, although that certainly lends gravitas to it and certainly makes it the stakes feel very high. And I do like that it's tied into a real life element. But I think why I love We Were the Lucky Ones is because of the family at the heart of the story. I love family books. So that immediately would lead me to Nobody Will Tell You This But Me, which is Bess Kalb's new memoir about her grandmother, or perhaps a quiet contemporary novel like, as I mentioned earlier, Unsheltered. So We Were the Lucky Ones deals with family. Um, Nobody Will Tell You This But Me is about a Jewish grandmother. And it's a memoir, so it's totally different genre, totally different style of writing, but still very much deals with the same themes of We Were the Lucky Ones. Unsheltered deals with one house and a family that has lived in this house forever. But this is another thing I find interesting. It also has a historical fiction element. So the first tip I have for you is to look at themes from the historical fiction books you like. Why do you like these historical fiction books? Is it because of the setting, because of the time period, or is it really because because, oh, this book deals with um, with faith, for example. That's one of the themes I love in books. Um, this book deals with um, dysfunctional families or functional families who have issues like all of us. So those are, that's my first tip is to look for the themes. The second tip I have for you is maybe to look for books that have elements of historical fiction in them. What I mean by that is even the example of nobody will tell you this but me. That's a memoir but because Bess Cobb is writing about her grandmother, you certainly get snippets of a different time. So if the reason you're drawn to historical fiction is really because of the time periods, um, then I think you can find books that deal with those things but are in different genres. Nonfiction especially, but memoir, even poetry. Unsheltered came to mind immediately because you have two different time periods in this book. So you've got kind of the modern era, I think around 2015, 2016, and then you've got a portion of the book taking place at the turn of the century. Much surprise to me, that was my, my that was my favorite part of that book. So I think you could look for a book that ties in these historical elements that you are thinking of. And then the last thing I I kind of want to experiment with just as readers and even I'm thinking about in the store itself cuz you talk about the experience of going into a bookstore or going into a library really pay attention when you go into a store or library next and i know we're all kind of limited to what we have available to us um but i would start looking at um end caps or displays the reason i say that is because at least at the bookshelf and i feel like a lot of other independent bookstores i love and respect their end caps are mixed with genres. So like, for example, downstairs in the bookshelf right now, I think we have an end cap devoted to voting, but not all of the books on that end cap are like nonfiction books about voting or even historical nonfiction books about the history of American voting. There are also books like The Voting Booth, which is a young adult novel. So I almost want us as readers to start thinking less in terms of publisher designed or publisher designated genres. And instead, what if we looked at literature in terms of theme? Again, my favorite themes that I come back to consistently are faith and doubt. The, to borrow a phrase from Knox McCoy, the art of reconsideration. Um, families. I used to call this dysfunctional family lit. I still still do sometimes, but I keep thinking about my friend and um, former colleague, Kate. Uh, Kate really thought, no, it's not so much 
much dysfunctional family. It's families that you want to spend time with and like, but they have issues just like the rest of us. And so that's the genre I'm drawn to. I'm also drawn drawn to um, disaster stories like vacations gone wrong. I think of the sea wife or um, leave the world behind. Like these are books that I don't think, I think they would probably all be shelved under fiction, right? Uh, But they all fall under this same genre. So I think libraries and bookstores do a great job of of finding ways to pair books together. Um, to borrow a phrase again, I think maybe from Ann Bogle, um, but like a book flight, where it's not necessarily that all these books are in the same publisher designated genre, but they deal with the same types of subject matter. Libraries and bookstores do this very well. I think it's harder to find that online, um, but I think it's possible. So think outside the traditional boundaries of genre and instead really start thinking about themes or characters. Uh, what do you really like about these historical fiction books you love so much? And then use that as a kicking off point starting off point to explore other um, other worlds of literature. Um, that would be my suggestion. I love this question. And I am almost inspired to maybe do um, a podcast episode about new genres of literature that maybe we should be paying attention to. So thanks, Joanna. That was it. That's all of our questions. I loved hearing from all of you. Thank you for submitting your questions. If you ever have a question for literary therapy, you can go to fromthefrontporchpodcast.com, go to contact, and then if you scroll down, you can see a place to leave a voicemail. That's the key is I need you to leave me a voicemail. So go to fromthefrontporchpodcast.com, click contact, and then scroll to about the middle of the page and you will see a place to leave a voicemail. I would love to hear from you and feature you on a future episode of Literary Therapy. Thanks so much for submitting your questions and for being such wonderful, thoughtful readers. It was so great to hear from you. From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in South Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at Bookshelf T-Bill, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, www.bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's episode can be found at www.fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Special thanks to Dylan and his team at Studio D Production for sound and editing and for our transcript and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. This week, I'm reading The Ghost at Dawn's House by Anne M. Martin. Been in a little bit of a reading rut, so revisiting these Babysitter Club books continues to be just a delight. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, tell us by leaving a review on iTunes, or if you're so inclined, support us on Patreon, where you can hear our staff's weekly new release Tuesday conversations, read full book reviews in our monthly Shelf Life newsletter, follow along as Hunter and I conquer a classic, and receive free media mail shipping on all your online book orders. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. And as you begin shopping this holiday season, and it's weird to say holiday season because it is October, um, but we and bookstores across the country are encouraging you to shop early and shop small. Look in your local communities, look to bookstores you love online, and consider supporting them this holiday season by shopping early and by shopping small. We appreciate every bit of business you send our way. We're so grateful for you, and we look forward to meeting back here next week. Next week.